2: From the border wall to Brexit, Bolsonaro in Brazil to Viktor Orban in Hungary, migration is an emotional, supercharged issue that's behind many debates, protests, and election results around the world.
3: Today, global migration is at a record high, up 50% in less than 20 years. For many people, they see migration as a threat for others, it's an opportunity.
2: We need better ways to discuss migration, whatever our view. Today's guest is Tolu Olubumi.
1: This is why we have that, because the human rights of all people need to be protected. The rights of institutions that are there to make sure the rule of law applies to all need to be protected. Without those, we'd slide into this abyss of chaos.
3: Our show is about fixes.
2: Yeah, how to make the world a better place. How How do we fix fix it?
3: How do we fix it? You know, Richard, sometimes a solution to a problem comes down to better management. Finding better ways to deal with change may not be the sexiest idea. You know, sometimes people are much more energized by shouting and yelling, but in the long run... That's what it's going to take to solve this problem.
2: Yeah, better people management doesn't quite have the same ring as build that wall, for instance. So let's take a rational look at migration. 244 million people, that's a lot, about 3.3% of the world population were born in one country and now live in
3: another. With deepening globalization, the number continues to rise as people seek opportunities elsewhere and sometimes try to escape horrific conditions at home.
2: We're joined by Tolu Olabumi, the host of the podcast, Way Home Together. Stories of the human journey.
3: And we should point out, Richard, that you're the executive producer of the podcast, and our producer, Miranda, is the show's audio designer. Tolu is a global
2: advocate for migrants, refugees, and displaced people. Welcome to How Do We Fix
1: It? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Now, you're originally from Nigeria. Yes, I am. And are a dreamer. So before we get any further, what's a dreamer?
1: So a dreamer is a young person who has grown up in the U.S., um, was brought to the U.S. at a young age, but is or has been in the past undocumented. The name is derived from legislation in U.S. Congress called the DREAM Act, and it is set to address the issue of young folks that are brought to the U.S., um, but are not currently legally able to live and work in the U.S.
3: And that's your story. I think you were 14 when you first came
1: here? I was, I was. And I'm not going to tell you the year because then you can do the math. <laughs> but I was 14 when I came to the U.S. from Nigeria. I grew up uh, in uh, the D.C. metro area and uh, went to college in Virginia and you know, it's been, it's been an interesting journey. This has been home for a very, very long time for me.
3: You got a degree in chemical engineering.
1: I did. I wanted to be an engineer since the age of eight. Um, and I chased after that. I got accepted into a, a great university, Washington University, and I studied chemical engineering there. But
2: being a dreamer mm-hmm. has made it impossible for you to get a job. As a chemical engineer.
1: It did. After graduation, I found out that I'd lost my legal immigration status and I'd become undocumented. And that meant that I could not live or work legally in in the U.S.,
2: but you stayed here and, and you became an advocate for migrants and refugees, displaced people. Why do you feel so strongly about that? I guess I guess the answer could be obvious. It's it, it it's close to your heart.
1: It is close to my heart, but there was a very clear transition from being a victim of the broken immigration system and recognizing that there are people that are in worse situations than me, not just here in the US, but also globally.
3: But by taking the choice to speak out, you also put yourself at some risk at that point, didn't you? I mean,
1: I put myself in tremendous risk. Um, and it was not an easy decision. It was not easy for me or for my family. Um, the more and more I went to the US Congress to advocate on behalf of undocumented young people, the more I realized that stories like mine were not commonly known. There was not an understanding of how wide this crisis was and how diverse the people that are affected by the problems are. And so there was a choice to advance the work by sharing the story of an African female chemical engineer who is helping to lead this fight in many aspects and is incidentally also undocumented. That I realized it was a story that needed to be told. And that's why I shared it.
2: We recently released um, the latest episode of your podcast, "Away Home Together. And we look at an attempt to rescue migrants on small boats and overcrowded rafts in the Mediterranean who were in immediate danger of of drowning. And the captain of the rescue vessel, John Castle, in the movie that we looked at called Lifeboat, compared the rescue of many migrants to a car crash. And he said, once you get closer, the victims of this disaster become individuals. The closer you get to the problem, like a car crash or something, Then it's not just a mass of people, then they're separating into individuals. And then they've actually got different expressions on their faces.
3: That's part of what you're doing, isn't it? I mean, you're trying to tell these individual stories to pick out instead of just the idea that there's people on a boat, to really pick out the individuals and get to know them a little bit.
1: The story is the heart of the matter. The individual is who we should be focused on, not abstracts, not statistics. Uh, my favorite African proverb, which my organization is named after, Lion's Right, says, until the lion learns to write, all the stories will glorify the hunter. There is a conversation that needs to be had that pulls in both sides of the issue and you not only get the truth out you also empower those that are directly affected to be champions in their own cause that's how we really find lasting solutions
2: in december um i think it's more than 160 nations around the world not including the u.s but but most countries signed on to something called the global migration pact which was i think worked out in marrakech morocco and approved by the un general assembly hasn't really received the coverage it deserves so why is that global pact part of a solution around migration so
1: the global compact for migration is really a historic document and agreement by a majority of the nations on earth to say we understand that there are benefits to migration and we understand that there are some inherent challenges to migration and we want to work together on finding solutions that respect individuals, that respect the migrants, and also harness the power of migration. It looks at migrants and migration based on facts. So
2: so rather than emotion.
1: The emotions and the rhetoric around migrants and migration is far often divorced from the reality of what it is. Governments around the world are acting in opposition to their national interests.
3: Well, and for one thing, not all migrants cross borders. Tell us about internally displaced people.
1: So internally displaced people is a special class of individuals that have had to flee their homes um, for whatever reason, conflict, famine, climate, um, but then have remained within the borders of their home country. So
2: they're refugees who haven't crossed borders. They've they've stayed In in their own country.
1: In a sense. The term refugees refers to people who have cross borders, internally displaced people, are essentially, yes, that, but have not left the confines of their home country.
2: On your podcast, you spoke with Mohammed Abdiker, who's the Director of Operations and Emergencies at IOM, which is the UN Migration Agency, and you've been involved with them and, and worked with them. Abdiker says one of the most overlooked aspects of people on the move are internally displaced people, and that... If the world ignores them today, then there will be many more refugees and migrants tomorrow.
3: Majority of the IDPs are the future migrants. People who, if we do not take care of them, will cross international boundaries and become the future migrants or refugees. And we need to make sure that the system is in place to protect them in their own country.
2: So that's a really important point, isn't it?
1: That is an absolutely critical point Um, beyond just the fact that, yes, you're spreading the issue of the movement of people across borders. Whether they're internally displaced within their home country or even across borders, it is a problem. What we're looking at, though, is spreading that problem globally. Um, So it is essential that we address the issue of internally displaced people. We have that here in the U.S. with the wildfires in California, with Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico. People are internally displaced all the time. It's not just by conflict. It is also by climate.
3: On your podcast... Away home together. You did a whole episode about the rights of migrants. What sorts of rights are particularly important and are most likely to be transgressed as people, you know, leave their home country?
1: That was really a, an eye-opening podcast for me. We we spoke with IOM's head of migrants law, Christina Chizenes, and. Christina helped us understand that the human rights of migrants are the exact same as the human rights of everybody else. And if we do not protect the rights of migrants, then those rights could be lost for other people.
3: What's an example of one of the rights that's really important to respect and protect?
1: So uh, that's an excellent question. I think migrants' rights and human rights are one and the same. One right that is incredibly important for all people, um, particularly migrants that are vulnerable, is the right to not be held in slavery or servitude. Um, and we are seeing that currently in Libya, where there was an expose a couple years ago that showed Africans being sold into slavery. Mm-hmm. In 2019, how are we still having this conversation about individuals being sold into slavery for just a few hundred dollars? And
2: in that episode, Christina Tuzenis says the attacks on the rights of migrants could threaten democracy for the rest of us.
3: If we accept that somebody who is on our territory becomes a legitimate target, even if they, legally speaking, have the same rights as us, then it's a very slippery slope.
2: So she's also arguing that, for instance, attacks on judges and the press are part of that slide towards a denial of of human rights. In other words, that the protecting institutions of democracy are, are, are vital right now.
1: Absolutely, you know, just last year we celebrated the 70th anniversary of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. This is why we have that, because the human rights of all people need to be protected. The rights of institutions that are there to make sure the rule of law applies to all need to be protected. Without those, we'd slide into this abyss of chaos.
2: It's How Do We Fix It? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs. And more on migration coming right up.
1: It's that time of the year
2: I think something that a lot of people, when we discuss migration, especially in wealthy countries, don't realize is that migration's a two-way street, that part of managing migration also means making conditions better for people to return to their home countries.
1: There are a lot of migrants that would rather be in their home countries. Um, there are a lot of refugees that would rather be in their home countries. I think what we need to focus on is the free movement of people, allowing people to live and work freely wherever they choose to. Of course, making sure that there is an agreement between both parties, but creating pathways that address economic migration and the need for jobs and the need for businesses to have talent move to certain countries.
3: So as a squishy libertarian I'm in favor of the free movement of people ideas goods and and the rest but you do have to acknowledge that very large flows of refugees or migrants create certain challenges and we've seen some of those challenges politically and not just you know from the ultra right in Europe and it creates economic challenges for for the 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 receiving countries how do we manage those? Are there limits that can be set? How do we negotiate what's an, an appropriate level for a given country to, um, I mean, you, you must hear this a lot. How many people can they accommodate? And what are the right numbers?
1: Yeah. Migration has always been a part of our world. Each country, yes, needs to make a decision on who they allow in the country, and how many. However, if you base those decisions on facts, like here in the U.S., 40% of Fortune 500 companies are started by migrants or the children of migrants. That is economic boost, not a draw. The fact that more migrants start businesses than do native-born citizens, that is an economic boost. So when we make those decisions and we base them in fact— It changes our perspective and it changes the way we deal with this. And we need to have this safe, orderly way of allowing people in, attending to the needs of businesses, and also recognizing that the human rights of all should be essential to whatever policies we we put forward.
2: And the alternative to an international agreement like the Global Pact on Migration is chaos isn't it?
1: Just in January, hundreds of people died in the Mediterranean just trying to live. One of the most amazing stories in the movie Lifeboat that we featured on A Way Home Together is the story of Aminada, who got on a rubber raft in Libya and could not swim. Now, how do you tell me that someone like that is Going to this new country to be an economic drain. You have to look at the human cost.
3: So we started the show talking about your personal history, and I- I'm curious. So you came to this country at 14 you from went to,
2: from Nigeria, yeah,
3: yeah. And went to um, went to college undocumented. So what's going on now? I mean, it seems to me anybody who meets you would say, this is exactly the kind of person we want in this country. Give this person citizenship and everything else. So where are you in that?
1: You know, it's been an interesting journey for me, going from being an unemployed, undocumented chemical engineer um, to being a global advocate for people like me and, and beyond. You know, I went from being an unpaid paid volunteer to introducing President Obama at the White House. It is not a path that I likely would have chosen if there was a choice between, you know, a nice, comfortable life as a chemical engineer or this. But it has led to my purpose. It is my passion. It is the cause that keeps me going. Um, And not just because I'm invested in this issue for me, but because I've seen the faces of others. I've seen mothers and fathers who... Need people like me fighting. It's easy to connect to me because I don't have an accent, but the truth is, everyone should benefit. Everyone is worthy of living free um, and living their best possible life, and that is what I try to do. Is just to showcase those lives that are lived behind the statistics and the innuendos.
2: Tolu Olabumi. thanks very much.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
2: Tolu Olubumi, our conversation with Jim and me coming right up. Jim, Tolu is clearly an advocate for migrants and therefore probably is on the side of of more rather than less migration. But this show that we've been doing is not really an argument about numbers. It's just saying that if we talk about the management of this, uh, it's going to lead to a lot less human suffering than merely shouting at each other one side or the other.
3: Right, right. And this is a massive, it's a global management challenge. Getting the numbers clear, thinking through policies, and being honest about the scope of it is a really crucial first step. At the same time, we do have to recognize that that there are challenges to, you know, unrestricted migration. And we have to be honest that there's so many different types of, of migrants. There are genuine refugees who are covered under one set of laws typically, and, and to some extent, I think, under somewhat different, we have a different moral responsibility than their economic migrants who uh, also have certain rights and stuff, but, but are handled somewhat differently. And,
2: and, then, and then something else that we, we, we aren't talking about here, but it's an entirely legitimate uh, debate, and that is what kinds of migrants do we give priority to? Should yeah. it be linked mostly to skill and employment need, Or should we have family-based migration where you let in the cousin or the uncle or or the aunt of someone who's already here?
3: Or should we have what we've had in this country? And this is where I I have a concern with people often conflating legal migrants and and illegal migrants. I I think I totally sympathize with the desire of the illegal migrants to find a better life and— And And, and overstay
2: uh, their visa. uh, Yeah, yeah,
3: I I get that. But— But right now we have a system where a lot of people, uh, in a sense, the priority has gone to people who do fall in the illegal category.
2: One thing I just want to say— because there's been a lot of nonsense talked about the UN global pact on migration, which the US and Australia and Chile and several other nations did not sign, is that this is some kind of treaty. It is not. It is not a treaty. Uh, It is merely a mechanism for helping countries cooperate with each other. And this compact also recognizes that individual countries set their own limits and set their own laws around migration. It is not some attempt to have a supranational solution imposed on top of national governments.
3: You know, no matter how you look at it, this issue is it's been a hot button in the U.S. It's been a hot button. In, in Europe. I think to some extent the failure of government leaders on both sides, both liberals and, and you know mainstream uh, conservatives, the failure to really grapple with it honestly is part of what's given rise to this populism. I think Tolu's perspective in, in putting this human face on this issue in the U.S., particularly this issue of dreamers is really, really vital and that, that's a key part of it. So is an honest look at the the economic impact and and just getting a sense on, you know, what are the numbers we're talking about and what are the numbers we want.
2: It's how do we fix it? I'm Richard Davies. And I'm Jim Meggs, And our producer is Miranda Schaefer. We're a production of Davies content. We make digital audio for companies and nonprofits. Check us out at our website, which is Davies, spelled the Welsh way, D-A-V-I-E-S, content, all one word, dot com.